Okay, here we go. Nice and quiet. Sound speeds, camera rolling. Holding for sound. Last looks. Calling for last looks. And set and action. I need to swap batteries. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, the podcast about the everyday struggles for the independent filmmaker. I'm Liz Manischel. And I'm R. Purcell. This week on the show, we are joined by Polish filmmaker Malgorzata Szymowska to talk about directing her first American film, The Other Lamb. I look at the monitor and I see if there is a truth or not. And sometimes, you know, I'm just saying, don't blink, for example. Look and don't blink. And it's enough, you know. They are not blinking and there is something in the eyes suddenly which is like very striking. But before we get into that, the news segment, which I, I don't think we've really come up with a cool title for this yet, but we'll just call it the news. This week I wanted to talk about this article I saw on IndieWire about uh, the Academy Awards and how they're going to start having to change the way they categorize films or allow films to be a part of the Oscars every year because... You know, we're going to have a bunch of movies that didn't get theatrical releases. And The Other Lamb is a good example. Like, The Other Lamb was going to have a theatrical release, I think, um, at least in, uh, you know, New York and L.A. and maybe some other places. Um, but now, obviously, it's not getting any at all. It's just VOD. Um, so, I don't know. Like, I, w- I wonder what they're going to do and how they're going to handle it and what the actual, re- you know, decision will be. But what, what do you think about this, Liz? Do you think this is about damn time or do you think this yeah. is like yeah i mean i but the issue is that to qualify for the oscars in the past it was an incredibly expensive enterprise like the week-long runs in new york and la the print ad requirements like it is an undertaking so but i don't think the expense is going to change i don't think remember like when the oscars expanded to 10 mo- movies and we were like right. oh more indies are going to be considered and then it was just like more <laughs> marvel movies like this is yeah, just gonna just be blockbuster after blockbuster yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't think this is going to change the, um, like, the level of filmmaking or it's not going to open up the doors to different filmmakers. It's going to be the same type of films that are going to be considered. But yes, I certainly believe that we should be opening up these requirements. It's insane. Like, we're so annoying. What's more interesting to me than than this whole Oscars thing is just to see, like, what trends are going to stick around after... Uh, COVID-19 uh, calms down, you know, like, are we going to see more and more VOD only releases and not theatricals or like, are we going to see bigger movies going to streaming services faster or is it, or is this really just going to be a thing of just this time, like whatever couple months this is going to be? Right. And didn't Christopher Nolan pen some sort of letter encouraging people to pick back up to going back to the movies when we're allowed yeah. to? I mean, yeah, I think there's did. that genuine fear that um, that's going to disappear. I think a lot is to be tested because we're, you know, I work in a field that's in community screenings and we're workshopping virtual screenings and virtual events right now. And it's like we're trying to find out do people have the appetite for a virtual event? Is their attention span going to be the same staring at a computer and engaging worth like versus being in a community center and in a Q and a with a filmmaker. So I I honestly think like we're going to find out in a few weeks if there is demand for virtual convening. And if there's not, then we still have it in our cold, dark hearts to get together (laughs) in person to go to the theater which I hope we do. You know, the I guess the ultimate knee-jerk reaction is like, oh, consumers are going to get used to this. Like, if these things are, are to happen more and more, like, will the consumer just get used to it and expect it going forward? And I would say, like, as someone who goes to the movie theater and loves the movie theater, like, this isn't changing that I love movie theaters. <laughs> like, it's not like, oh, COVID-19, yeah. now I hate movie theaters. No, I still love movie theaters, and I'm going to be racing <laughs> back to the movie theater as soon as this is over. And I feel like a lot of people are going to be just like me, like just like waiting for the moment that they can get back to their local theater to, to see the next big movie or small movie or whatever. I don't know, though. I mean, like uh, we've been talking about this at work as well. It's like as soon as the containment or the self, you know, quarantine or whatever, sheltering at home, whatever we're calling it, as soon as, as, soon as that's over, are we going to be jumping back in or are we going to be like really still tentative to be in public spaces? Like there's going to be a permanent impact on us after several weeks of sheltering at home. I mean, uh, hopefully... <laughs> I mean, and also there's been there's been people writing pieces about this, like that we've essentially lost another stage of our innocence, like we no longer feel safe in public because of what 
the you know the trauma of right. all of this happening to us so like by the way i cannot wait for wonder woman so like i also will be rushing to theaters <laughs> but i right. do think we will still feel hesitant in public spaces and i don't know how long that's going to weigh on us yeah i don't know i mean i, I i'm not necessarily like scared to go outside or fearing for anything i just feel like you know, the, the responsible thing to do is to stay inside and shelter at home because that's what's going to help us get through this faster. But when this is done and I'm told I can go outside anymore or, or go outside again, like I'm not going to be like scared to go outside because of, you know, the time that I was not supposed to go outside. I don't know. But do you do you feel that way? Yeah, I'm still yelling at cars driving in the street, being like, "Where are you going?" Like, <laughs> like I hold them accountable. Well, yeah, well, for driving now, when you're not supposed to. But will you? But you won't feel that way when it's over, will you? I, yeah, no, I hope not. I hope not. But I do notice that, like, when we take like a daily walk with our dog and our our baby, and like I do cross the street if I see someone on the same pathway. Like, I'm I'm still, even though it's only you know you should only be six feet away from someone. I'm like, that's not enough. I need to be like 160 feet away from someone. So I still have that paranoia and that anxiety, but I'm a lot more tightly wound than you are, Ulrich. So like, that's just part for the course <laughs> with me. Right, 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 right. Fair enough. Um, okay, well, I think that this has been enough of the news bag segment, but uh, do you want to move on to the mailbag uh, portion of the show? This review is called Making Movies is Actually Hard by D Big Dude on October 19th, 2019. He says, I'm thankful that this show exists. It's a great place to hear people discussing roadblocks that maybe you yourself have gone through, see coming, or maybe even more importantly, don't see coming. The community here is great, and I basically love everything about it. Excited to hear the format keep evolving and to hear updates as Ulrich enters production on his feature, The Alternate. Five star rating. Thanks, D Big Dude. That's Thanks, awesome. D Big Dude. And uh, I'm actually curious. Like, I now that we've you know I've shot the film, um, which at that time in October I wasn't sure was going to happen, uh, and we have uh, six uh, alternate updates that we have aired on the show. What did you think of them, D, D Big Dude? Did you like them? Did you hate them? Were they everything you were hoping they were going to be? Uh, let us know. Okay, so our latest uh, review from iTunes is from Alan C. Gardner. The title is extremely informed. I feel very cocky reading these. Like, oh, let me just tell people how great we are out loud. Um, Alan, it feels good, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, extremely informative, relatable, and entertaining. Why, thank you, Alan C. Gardner. It's so true. Five stars. Okay, so Alan writes, I'm an actor and independent filmmaker, and listening to this podcast causes me to smile and nod my head in recognition more than any other. Just a dude nodding and grinning in his car and muttering things to himself like, yep, and I get it, and ha, huh. well, that's cool, over and over, like a maniac. So that's fun. Uh, Liz and Ulrich are both sharp, insightful, and have a really great and charming rapport with one another. Aww. Um, Aww. For anyone who's into film or even just good conversation, I'm a huge fan of both. I highly recommend this awesome podcast. I don't think we know this person, so this feels like no, maybe I the don't. first genuine review that I've read. Oh. <laughs> No, I mean, I feel like there's been lots of genuine reviews. Yeah, before. I mean, like D Big Dude. We don't know who D Big Dude is. It's we a don't very good know. point. Yeah, but there have been a few that we've read recently where I did know who the person was. So that's true. But, but uh, Alan, what a, Alan, what a mensch. Thank you very much, Alan. It's very sweet. I, we have a an audience and a building distribution. Is it a bag? I'm in. Done. <laughs> Every week, uh, we're just going to share like a tip about audience building. It's going to be a general tip that people can take and apply to their projects or themselves. And this week is be everywhere, but don't be everywhere. So my tip is that it's important to be able to for people to be able to find you and get in touch with you on social media, email, web presence. But um, people... But you'll go crazy if you feel like you have to populate all these platforms with tons of content constantly. So my advice is to set up social accounts, but don't always feel the need to post on them regularly. So if you're really big on Facebook and you find that to be a really safe place to share and talk, that should be the place where you communicate and build your audience and, and you know engage with people. But do set up 
a Twitter account and do set up, you know, a website and an Instagram and just route people to your Facebook page and, um, you know, retweet a few things every now and then and maybe post less frequently and always mention the fact that, you know, you're, you're more likely to be talking to people on Facebook, but acknowledge your foibles in building audiences and route people um, where they can meet you halfway. So you're basically saying that if I have huge anxiety because like yes. I'm not a very good Twitter or uh, Instagrammer, but I do spend time on Facebook that don't worry about it. Like, yeah. you know, but be just, there because you, I, yeah. I'm there. I'm all places. I just ignore them. <laughs> and that's fine. And like, Is that okay? Make, yeah, I think that's totally fine. And I think you should always route people to your website because your website's the way that actually you can best right. collect email addresses, which are like incredibly valuable. Um, right. So like your Twitter bio should have the website address and then, you know, maybe also the Facebook page because you're more active on Facebook or same thing for Instagram or, you know, route people. So the idea is to meet people where they are, um, but you don't need to stay there. So be everywhere, but don't be everywhere. Right. And and, and oh, here's a question. So like, let, let's say I'm like a nut, right? And I'm like one of these <laughs> people who like, is, I'm like completely addicted to social media and I have the bandwidth and the energy to post on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and whatever else every day. Like, is that a bad thing no, if I am that person? That's great. That's okay. so great. Okay. Just wanted to check just for people who do do that, like... You know, is that obnoxious to be like all over everyone all the time? I don't think so. As long as it's different content, like I wouldn't just repost the same thing you put on Facebook, on Twitter and Instagram, because that's boring. And people will, the whole thing about social media is like, avoid being a bot. Don't show your inner roboticness. So if, as long as things <laughs> are customized, like on Twitter, if it's a one liner and it's humorous or it's political, that's Twitter. If Instagram, you know, imagery, captivating imagery, if you're on Facebook, longer form, engaging content. So like, just make sure you're catering what you're posting to the platform. But like, no, social media moves so fast. You don't have to worry about irritating people too much unless you're um, a genuinely irritating human. So just don't be <laughs> irritating. Just don't be irritating. Yeah. Got it. Um, but yeah. And, you know, if you're not a political or funny person, can you still be on Twitter? Cause I'm not very funny and I'm <laughs> not funny. very political, but uh, I like yeah. to be on Twitter sometimes. That's okay. If I can just like, whatever comes to my mind, I can tweet. I think cool. so. I mean, yes, I just say political and humorous because like th those are the people like comedians and politicians right. are like, seem to do really well on Twitter. Right, um, right. But it's more just like short notes, right? It's short thoughts. That's a whole platform right. is capping off your thoughts in certain character number. Um, so yes, you can write whatever you want and just have fun. And like the ultimate piece of advice I always give people is to be a human, like to show mm. your flaws, be honest and emotional on these platforms because no one wants like a phony robot. No one wants like a nonstop self promoter. Like that's going to be the way that's just not a good way to live your life either. I would say. All right. Well, I think we're, we're ready for our next segment. Um, and I don't know if this is what we want to call this, but is it the fil female filmmaker bag? Is that appropriate? <laughs> no. Or is that just terrible? <laughs> it's the only nod bag segment. Okay. Um, what are we going to call it? What are we going to call it, Liz? I just, I mean, the thing is, it's like, I almost just want to call it the filmmaker corner or like filmmaker okay. sound bites and not even say female filmmaker. Like it should just okay. be filmmaker sound bites and then they just happen to be women. Like I'm just targeting okay. women when I bring them in. That sounds good. Uh, so should we do a new intro to this or should we keep all this? I think we keep all it. And then next keep time okay. we do, here's sound bites from filmmakers. Here's a filmmaker soundbite bag. bag. <laughs> <laughs> okay, done. <laughs> So we have this new segment where we ask female filmmakers, or just filmmakers, their responses to fairly open-ended prompts. Last week we chatted about COVID-19, and this week I asked two filmmakers about the times they felt particularly powerful on set. I hope you enjoy. My name is Shelley Ulrich. I live in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm an actor, filmmaker, and producer, mostly indie and commercial work. The direct impact the virus has had on me as an artist, many ways in the last couple weeks, actually. I'm in a feature film that had its theatrical release the weekend of Friday, March 13th. So obviously the timing was a pretty devastating blow. 
Also, I was working crew on a friend's indie film, and we were going to film the Seed and Spark teaser Tuesday, March 17th, and Wednesday the 18th, and of course everything had to be canceled. I started a filmmaking 101 class, learning about lighting and lenses, basically the Cliff's Notes condensed version of film school all in 18 weeks, only because it's all I could afford when it comes to film school. And a month into class, and now we are on an indefinite hiatus. Also, there was a short film I worked on, and it got accepted to the Phoenix Film Festival. Plus, I also volunteer at the festival, presenting films and hosting Q&As. It's not just about being paid, it's about becoming known, especially in our smaller market. How I have felt empowered on set. <laughs> well, this one's a little tricky. A film I did a few years back, I'm very proud of, called Dark Dignity. It was a female-dominant cast and crew. I knew in the beginning the writer had me in mind for one of the leads, and then I became pregnant during pre-production, and I was afraid to tell anyone. Fear of being cut from the role to even being inadvertently blacklisted because, I mean, honestly, who writes roles of currently pregnant women? <laughs> I cried when I told her I was pregnant and that I understood if she recast the role, but they still kept me on. I was seven months pregnant and we were shooting in the desert of Arizona. In the script, there were direct lines about celibacy, so we had to do everything we could to hide my growing belly and they were really great about everything. Unbeknownst to me though, there were safety meetings about me specifically, which at first I was sort of raw about. I mean, I was pregnant, I wasn't made of glass, I didn't consider myself fragile, nor did I think my safety was above anyone else's. But after chewing it over, I realized that this was the first time I had seen extensive safety measures being taken to make sure everyone involved with this production was safe. And it's a huge release because, because far too often, safety takes the back seat. So it was incredibly reassuring to see my fellow filmmakers know better and also do better. Seeing someone take my safety seriously, it reinforces that bond between the filmmakers and their cast and crew. And because of that, I would absolutely work with these filmmakers again. Hi, my name is Miriam Olkin and I work in film and television in Massachusetts. And I'm also an independent AD for student films and short films. Uh, the way that the coronavirus has impacted me as an artist, the movie we were working on was shut down for four weeks. So, um, so I've been at home just kind of enjoying some time off and keeping busy. And uh, all the assistant directing I was doing for short films and student films, um, the students had to go home. So this is a thesis film, so we can't we can't AD that stuff right now. And the short short films, uh, we got one done almost a day before everyone went in lockdown. So that was pretty satisfying to get that done. Um, second, when have I felt um, powerful or respected on set? Um, I was working on a second unit for a feature here in Massachusetts. And I remember it was um, very cold and it was by the sunlight for how much shooting we were going to get done. And someone was yelling or something over the walkie about a tent, like a, one of those fold-up tents sticking out. And how this is a period piece, you know, that can't have that. And just yelling like, somebody get it out of the shot. And I realized that it wasn't my lockup, but it was close enough. So I safely sprinted across a long field and found the tent and pushed it out of the way and you know, just took care of the tent as best I could. And then uh, we got the shot and I went back to my lockup and everything was fine. And hours later, just as the sun was about to go down and the second unit director was done for the day and they were about to hop on a plane somewhere else, they found myself and a couple other PAs and they just, they shook our hand and he looked, you know, myself and the other people right in the eye and just said, thank you. Thank you for what you did today. And it was kind of this realization, wow, this person knows it's tough to be a PA, we're freezing our toes off and we're we're working really hard and and it was just really it was really awesome and it was wonderful to work with those people and it felt validating and I just felt lots of respect. Sidebar really quick. Is it per actor or actress? Like what are we doing here? Are we calling uh w women who are actors act actresses or are we calling them actors? What's 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 the deal? Cuz I always thought that it's better to be like, you know, they're we're, they're all actors, right? Like male or female. But then all the time, 
like I, I think almost every time when a, like an an actor uh, who's a woman introduces themselves, they refer to, them, to themselves as an actress. You just used it just now. Like, what's the proper thing here, Liz? I I tend to use like gender. What is it like? Um, like I say, guys, when I'm talking to a group of women, so I'm like the last okay. person to advise on gender appropriate. I, I use guys for men and women together. Like if it's like two men and a woman, I'll just say guys, or yeah. vice versa, whatever you know. But I um, prefer actor. I just think like you don't say doctress, you say doctor. Right. You know. Right. But Me too. Um, but if they say actress, then you say actress. Oh, okay. So you take the lead from the person. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. But it's interesting. not going to be okay. offensive to anyone. Oh God, I hope it's not offensive to anyone. I don't know. I will. I'm not sure. I don't know if it's offensive or not. I thought that that was like where we we're headed. Like you know, we're all you know, everyone's an actor. You know, yeah. um, there there's there are men actors, women actors. Uh, you know, whatever. But actresses are a thing of the past, of the old days of filmmaking. That's what I was sort of thinking. But. Uh, I want to hear from people like this is a good, uh, you know, mailbag situation. Like if you guys have thoughts on this, like are, are, is it appropriate actor, actress, or is it only actor? If you're an actor who is a woman, what do you think? Like, would you rather be referred to as an actor or an actress? Tell us, let us know. We could do a poll. Yes. Time. Yeah. I would love a poll. That'd be amazing. Um, all right. Well, speaking of, I don't know if polls really, uh, goes well with this, but, uh, we do have a Patreon page. It also starts with a P. Um, you can go to www.patreon.com slash MMIH podcast, uh, to join us on Patreon. We've been losing pa patrons, uh, like wildfire, uh, which makes sense because of all this craziness, you know, uh, like cash is, uh, you know, not really easy to come by these days with everyone having to type tightening their belts at all so i understand but if you do have a dollar and you want to like help our show stay alive uh you know this is a, a thing you could do you could give us a buck i was about to say i don't think we're losing patreon patrons completely they're just reducing their monthly uh contributions so i mean we're we every dollar counts for us is what i wanted to say like we're grateful for anything so just thank you yeah and i'm not ungrateful i'm not angry that, we're, <laughs> that people are dropping oh i totally understand it's totally cool oh my god yeah um i just feel like i get it like i'm anyone who has gone lower amount or dropped off completely i i get it i'm not no no hard feelings but i'm just saying you know a dollar goes a long way so if you have a dollar that would be amazing and uh, if you don't have a dollar and you want to do another nice thing for us, you could also just leave us an iTunes review like we got uh, from Alan C. Gardner earlier today. That's another way to show love. Um, and it doesn't have to be a full written review. If you don't like writing and you don't like words, you could just give a rating. You know, there's uh, plenty of those to, to be given out, too. So either way, that would help us a lot. Um, Liz, anything else you want people to do or go or follow or shout out or whatever while we're here? No, I just wanted to acknowledge that, like, you know that moment in Turn of the Screw where, like, the doorknob opens and there's, like, a ghost? That just happens to me every day because my son is constantly trying to get in the door. <laughs> and he Aww. just comes in. There's just, like, this phantom doorknob moving. And That's sweet. So he's in here now. So now we're never going to get anything else done. Hi, Colin. Hi, Colin. Do you want to – here's the microphone. Can you say anything? He's – walking towards it and i think he's gonna eat it oh yeah. he's just trying to take it um it's not that exciting when you can't see the child um no i have oh, nothing well. to add oh there we go he's crying oh <laughs> well with that i think we should get to our interview with uh mal gorzata uh sumoski which i think i said that right but maybe i said it wrong <laughs> but uh colin looks like our logo right now he's a crying Aww. baby making movies is hard you should take a photo of him and he can be the new logo or maybe a, a bonus logo. Yeah. <laughs> we are talking with the accomplished Polish filmmaker Malgorzata Szmowska, whose films have played Sundance, TIFF, Berlin. Uh, she's a two-time Silver Bear winner. Uh, her latest film, The Other Lamb, just hit um, on VOD because we are in the midst of a crazy pandemic. Um, I just hit on VOD on April 3rd, and we're just, like, thrilled to have her on the show. Yeah, this was a really, really fun conversation. Um, 
you know, I saw the film uh, right before we interviewed her, and it was really striking and beautiful and amazing and chilling and terrifying all at the same time. Um, but just getting to talk to her about uh, filmmaking in general and making of the other lamb and then just for a little context like this is her first um you know english speaking film and the first film that she's done with like you know american producers so it was kind of a big difference uh for her and uh you know it was really fun to hear about like how she normally works like in the you know european european art house uh filmmaking as she put it um versus american filmmaking and uh yeah, it was really, it was really interesting. It, it, f- it felt very like, like what she was talking about, like felt very similar to like on a, on a much bigger scale, of course, to like what I went through on the alternate, you know, with like the time and everything. And so, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. I also felt like it was a good awakening for me because I feel like I, okay, so I hadn't heard of her before and I'm like, wow, first of all, I'm a horrible human. And then I'm a horrible female filmmaker because her accolades <laughs> are like a plenty. She is like, yeah. like a truly decorated filmmaker, but talking to her made me want to watch every single one of her movies. Like she's so charming, first of all, but also she's a real she's a real artist. Like you could just yeah. hear it come out of her voice. You can, the way she details how she works. Um, so I've just was really inspired and I think she really will fall, follow in the footsteps of Jane Campion and Catherine Bigelow. Like I think she's going to become um, an even more well-known figure. Yeah. I mean, apparently she's one of the most well-known filmmakers from Poland, if not the most well-known um, from Poland, at the, like right now, I guess. Contemporary filmmakers, I should say. Right, we're um, just all ignorant Americans who don't yeah, totally. know her, but she's <laughs> she is like a famous filmmaker. This is like one of the best uh, interviews I think we've ever done on the show in 250 plus episodes, and yeah. I'm just really excited. One of the the things we're trying to do on the show now is just to get like a, a rapid fire. Uh, answer of like information about the film before we start really getting into the questions. So, and I just saw the film yesterday. Uh, congratulations, it's awesome. I loved it. Big fan. Thank you. Um, it was chilling and beautiful at the same time, which uh, is hard to do. How many days did you shoot uh, on the other lamb? Twenty-five. Can you say what the rough budget was? Like a rough scale. Three million dollars. How long did you work on it from you know it being brought to you and to the movie coming out? Uh, approximately two years. And then how many, uh, how big was the crew? The crew was like, I think it was like 45 people. And then out of all your films you've made, how difficult was this one in comparison? It was one of the most difficult challenge, total challenge. Well, let's jump off there. Yeah. Why? We want to hear. First of all, you know, my first, uh, independent American film in English. Uh, produce, producer behind you, even nice producer, but still producer, <laughs> you know, it's for, 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 for an European art house director, it's very rare. <laughs> then uh, very short time of preparation, only four weeks, plus uh, only 25 shooting days. Then usually in Europe, we are shooting a 10 days longer uh then to me it was a little bit like to do again my first film you know <laughs> it was like my god you have three million dollars you have to do this and this very fast very we have to be precise and we we didn't have any over hours like we have to be we have to always like finish uh, the shooting on time and then it was like like very difficult and plus the weather it was totally cold and all the time outside and raining and hours standing in this freezing chilling wind in ireland then for many reasons it was like really one of the most like maybe even the most difficult film was this budget smaller than you're normally used to working with as well comparing usually the budget of of films i'm doing it's like two it's it's like let's say one million and a half uh, euro right which is like 
the problem is that uh, three million dollars it's a it's a very little but it's a very little budget for that kind of film and in europe when we are doing a film uh, it's a different money you know it's a, that it's, it you can't compare yes it was like a like a lower budget to me than usually if it's not lower budget <laughs> So in, in in what way is it different? Like you're, you're talking a lot about the difference between working with an American producer and like on a European film. Can you talk to us about like what it's normally like for you working on a movie? Normally for me, it was like I made like eight feature films before. Uh, most of them, all of them in Europe, one in Paris, in France with Juliette Binoche. And um, it's an art house cinema niche, which means that you are having not uh, equity money, your money, it's not private money. You are taking the money from the government, from the government and from the public television and etc. Then it's kind of not easy to get the budget together. It's take, it takes some time. Sometimes it's like one year, one year and a half, or sometimes even two years. Uh, because it's like very, it's so many rules, it's very strict uh, to get that government money. But then uh, when you have this money, uh, everything is like kind of in your hands a little bit. For example, I used to be also a producer on my films. I was uh, hiring uh, a kind of line producer, or we, we call it maybe executive producer, and they did a kind of uh, paperwork, I would say, uh, for me, and also they were organizing uh, a people and set, but it was always, each thing was like my decision, because I was the lead producer, the lead director. It's very often like this uh, on uh, art house uh, cinema in Europe, if you have a like, festival established director and I, I won Locarno, I won Berlinale, then I was exactly that kind of um, that kind of type of the director that actually I, I'm taking all decisions by myself, right? Then it's a big difference because when they gave me the film, it was like not my script, first of all, even I really like it. Then uh, I have to talk each day with the producer about what I'm doing. If I'm changing something in the script, I have to like ask uh, for the permission to do it, right? Or at least I have to right. explain <laughs> what I'm doing this, right? Same with cast. Each element of the film you have to discuss with the producer. To me, it's a new situation, but not only to me, all of my friends, you know, colleagues, uh, European uh, directors, they, they, they are always like, um, trying to find themselves in, in that system, which is a very different system than European system, right? But on the other hand, to me, after all my outdoor feature European films, etc., it was a brilliant experience because I kind of have to, you know, put myself together. I, I had to like explain exactly what I'm doing, which puts me in the position that I had to be very precise, react very fast. And um, it was challenged, but in a good sense that I, I, I can't complain. It was an experience. And I think I'm totally ready to jump again in that kind of environment. Do you feel that kind of um, management or accountability made the film better? Or do you feel like it slowed you, you down to have to, you know, explain yourself each day when you're making adjustments and changes? It gets everything a little bit, uh, probably a little bit slower. But uh, if you have a good and experienced producer like I had, which is David Lancaster, who did Whiplash, uh, he understands the situation that it's not takes an hours or it doesn't takes uh, even uh, an hour because we don't have that time is going on much faster you know it's like a very fast communication uh, but so as far it's an equity money on the film I kind of understand the attitude right it's a private money partly then the uh, people wants to know uh, for what they are paying then uh, I I understand the situation. I'm I can answer you that question. If it's the other lamp, it's not my script. It's a genre film. It's okay. I think it's it it works. You know, 
but if it's for example my own script and i want to do my outdoor very intimate intimate film uh, and then there is an American system of production and producer who is standing on their head and saying, you tell me, explain me, then probably it's against the film. Then I think it really depends on the project. I think that makes perfect sense. Also, I just want to say you're really cool and everything you're saying is really resonating with me and exciting to me. Um, I wanted to hear how the project came to you originally and if that pathway was different for you this time than in the past and why you jumped on board yes it's interesting because you know before i really since i won berlinale uh, with a best director award which is, was 2015 uh, i started to receive many offers uh, english-speaking offers from independent u.s market uh, and then I'm telling you that I passed on all of them because I didn't found the scripts interesting and I didn't found the stories interesting and even the characters interesting. And I was saying, it's not for me. I don't want to do it. Then I met David Lancaster 5 a.m. Cannes Film Festival in the bar. Yes. Wow. <laughs> and, he, <laughs> and I mean, probably we were a little bit smashed, I must tell you. And then he said to... <laughs> He asked me if I know a very good Polish cinematographer. And I said, of course, we have only good cinematographer in Poland. Most of them <laughs> works in Hollywood, man. <laughs> and then, you know, I contact him with my cinematographer. And then how David watched all my work, because we were sharing, we have the, we, are, we made did our films together with my cinematographer. And then David, he called me and he said, I love your work, girl from the bar. I'm gonna send you a script and I said yeah okay great and I didn't have any expectations because I was probably it's gonna be same story again like uh, yeah I mean script I don't feel attached at all or something like this but yes I was attached and I said I like it I mean on card only female uh, a, a journey of a young girl teenager becoming a woman sexuality uh, all themes I really like and I feel like personal attached and etc then I said to them of course let's do it and then the process was very long you know because we were waiting and waiting for film maybe very long not very long but to me i'm in impatient you can hear that <laughs> i was waiting nine <laughs> months uh to start to shoot the movie then i i call it very long pregnancy you know because <laughs> they they told me okay we're gonna shoot the next month and then it like took finally nine months to, sh uh, to, to to start shooting from that point that I was waiting, waiting and waiting. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm very, I'm very satisfied with, with the whole experience. But after, right after I jumped to my own outdoor film, Polish German film, uh, my, my script, and I felt very strong how much it's a two different words. But I kind of really like probably what I'm gonna dream of to jump between these two words, you know, to do my own film in Europe and then to do an English speaking because I start to really enjoy the the, the an American market too. I I think it's fun. I like it. This, you know, you said that you got a lot of offers uh, after you won uh, the award in, in 2015. Like, had you ever thought about making a movie in English before then? Or was that the first time that idea was introduced to you? I never, I never thought, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's not um, common for the, for the young, I'm not young anymore, but I was young at that time. Uh, it's not very common for the young uh, filmmakers, I think, maybe nowadays more, but in my generation, no one think about this, you know. Now, probably no, now everyone wants to do film in English. But uh, in my generation, no one, we, you know, I grew up in communism. I, I never thought about something like this, you know. Then when the first offers, my dream was to go to Cannes and won Golden Palm, you know, or I don't know, go something <laughs> like this. Then I, I would never dream about this, never, never. But then when it starts to happen, happening, and finally I did the other lamp, now I, I have a different approach. I Now I'm much more open to that. And now I, I think it might be something very cool to try. 
you talked about the weather being a big challenge in making oh, the yes. film and the and the new style and everything. Was there any challenge in directing in another language that's not your native language, or was that not a problem? To me, it's not a problem. You know, I directed film in French with Juliette Binoche, and I don't speak French. <laughs> I'm well, well. <laughs> sorry. Désolé, désolé. No, I, I speak now, I understand some words in French, but no, it's not a big problem. I think it might be a problem if, if it's a film where there is a lot of dialogue. If, if it's a film which is based on the dialogue, you know what I'm saying? For example, on jokes, teasing and etc., then it might be more complicated. Then I probably have to spend a lot of time to learn um, very precise the lines. You know what I mean? Uh, and what they are mean, but in that uh, scenario, not really. No, no, because you know I understand everything, and I can I can share my thoughts. I'm I'm also like very fast with the actors. I'm not saying like I'm not explaining the psychological background for hours. I'm much more Polish girl from Poland. I'm very direct. Then I'm saying this and this. Now you are jealous. Now you are bad. Now you are good. I don't like it. I like it. They, they are kind of very confused, the actors, I must say, at the beginning. <laughs> like, what? What are you saying? Because I, I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> they are like kind of shocked well, because probably they don't used to work that way. But I'm saying, sorry, I'm from Poland. I don't like it. <laughs> Let's do it again. So you're just very direct with your actors about right. if you like the performance or not. Wow, that's awesome. Yes, totally direct because it's also I, I don't want to waste time, you know. Then, uh, for example, Rafi Cassidy, she, she's uh, a girl from Manchester, very cool and young, and she loves she loved it. She was like, okay, I love it. You are not talking too much. You are not saying bullshit. We are just going straight <laughs> to the point. Amazing. <laughs> wow, that's great. Uh, she was fantastic, by the way, the, the movie. I mean, really great. She's amazing. I just feel like so often as directors, we're told to use metaphors and analogies and we're not allowed to tell actors exactly what we want to see. Um, and it sounds like you're, you're attributing a lot of this to your Polish background, but did you try the other way around? Did you try being vague and descriptive at any point in your career? Maybe I tried, but it didn't work, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I remember with Juliette Binoche, it was like this, you know, because Juliette, she, re she really wanted to work with me. And even she called me, she found me, etc., etc., because she's famous for finding uh, young talents, you know. And then we start to, you know, we, we, we came to the set and it was like very difficult psychological scene. And she, she present something and I was shocked because it was like to me, it was terrible. And then I said, oh, my God, it's terrible or something like this. And, you know, she looked at me like she was completely shocked and then she starts to laugh and she was laughing and laughing laughing and laughing and then <laughs> how we kind of you know became a real friends and from that moment everything was so easy you know because to her it was so, she knew that she 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 overacted totally because she wanted to overact it in the first take <laughs> and then oh. to to get down step by step and i was so honest like you know like only polish girl on your eastern european girl can be saying like oh my god it's terrible i don't like it <laughs> then <laughs> then you know and then she starts to laugh and we found our own way to to and then i was i mean i was trying before to be kind of weak etc but you know it didn't work that then i did this thing with terrible and that's the end of me being very kind. <laughs> so this is kind of going backwards a little bit, but I'm just curious, like in your process, do you do a lot of rehearsals with your actors or do you do you talk to them beforehand or is it all kind of just like happens on set when you arrive? Most of the time on set, but of course I've tried to do some, uh, first we are talking, I'm trying to explain, of course, there's like one, at least one conversation when I'm trying to explain my point of, my point of view on the character. Uh, then we are doing some rehearsals, but I'm, dumb, I'm not a fan of, of over rehearsing because then I think you are losing the kind of uh, freshness, etc. They are losing actors and they start to be like a mechanical that I'm trying more to do it on the ground, on the set to get what I want, 
with my uh, method, which are like probably not very typical for, for many directors because I'm really like, I look at the monitor and I see if there is a truth or not. And sometimes, you know, I'm just saying, don't blink, for example. Look and don't blink. And it's enough, you know. They are don't blinking and there is something in the eyes suddenly, which is like very striking. But, you know, I, I'm not explaining why don't blink. Then sometimes it's like a problem for some actors at the beginning that they they they, they are expecting that explanation, what is behind don't blink. And actually there's nothing behind because I just know that the eyes looks better if they are not blinking. <laughs> then it's like, a... some, to, to me, sometimes it's very technical, you know how to how to work with actor and but i'm very good with working with actors and they, you know then step by step they they are they are they learn me they learn to work with me and i think at the end they are always appreciate what they see on the screen so this film was like you said almost entirely outside um what advice would you have to filmmakers who are going into making a film that's going to be shot almost entirely um outside uh, do a lot of exercise. The the, the physical uh, condition uh, is very important when you are a director. I think so, really. Uh, do a lot of exercise. Uh, of course, uh, you can drink some alcohol too. Why not? <laughs> to relax. No, I'm teasing a little bit. But um, yeah, I think it's about uh, being very strong, you know. Like to be outside for 12 hours when it's very cold, you have to have a, a strong uh, organism, I would say, strong body. Well, I wanted to jump in. I know this is slightly off topic, but Antichrist is one of my favorite movies. And when I saw that you helped produce that, I just I couldn't help myself. Um, can you talk a little bit about controversial subject matter and, and just your desire for the reception of what you put out into the world? Um, you know, with this film, with, with Antichrist, with any of the other films, how do you want the films to be received? You know, I mean, Antichrist is also one of my favorite films. Then uh, we are on the same page, even if it's very <laughs> difficult film, difficult film. And I think so many people, they just can't take it. No, there, there is a some kind yeah. of problem. Yeah. But I think that's what makes this film very unique, very exceptional. What I it's hard to say, but I mean, the dark part of our nature, um, also the sexuality of our nature and that in the uh, in the dark side, not only in the light side, it's very, very interesting. And uh, sometimes I think that we are too afraid to to the dark side of us and probably those films like Antichrist and maybe some moments in the other lamp, uh, they are just lead us to to this um, dimension. Uh, it's also a, a part of us. It's also part of our life. Wow. I love that. Thank you. What's the first film you ever made? And now, after all these years, how do you feel about it now? This film is Happy Man. I was 25 years old. When I see this film now, I'm asking myself why there is only unhappy people on the screen, which is very boring. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you have a goal as a filmmaker? Yes, uh, maybe I would like to be the first female director who who what who, who's gonna do something, take some I don't know Oscars or Golden Palms, <laughs> or second director, <laughs> because you know it was only Jane Campion who won Golden Palm and only Catherine Bigelow who won Oscar for the best film. Yeah, I want to be the second one. <laughs> <laughs> nice, amazing. I love it. It's gonna happen. I hope so. If you could go back in time, what piece of advice would you give yourself? Maybe, maybe for that first film. Oh my God! Uh, don't be so serious. Is making movies hard? Very, very, very hard. <laughs> nice. But then, and then, why do you do it if it's so hard? Because I love challenge. I'm, I'm a fighter. I am a fighter. It's for the people who are fighters. The one last question I think I would love to ask is, you know, given all your experience, all the films you've made, what advice do you have to young filmmakers who are just starting out, just going out to make their first film? I mean, uh, don't never give up, never give up. 
and do your field even with the lowest money you have with that just try and never postpone never wait too long be be extremely pushy like yes i have to do that that's only one possible way to get there amazing um i could ask you questions all day malgo because you have so much great <laughs> advice and things to say but i, I don't want to keep you because i know you have a lot of other interviews to do um yes. but thank you so much for your time this has been yeah, great thank you it was pleasure guys it was really fun thank you so much So thanks for listening, everybody, and thanks for Malgo for being on the show. Uh, that was just a fantastic conversation. Um, if you want to learn more about The Other Lamb, I think you can find it on all VOD platforms. You can search The Other Lamb. It's out now. It came out on um, April 3rd. Um, and yeah, highly, highly recommend this film. It was awesome. It is a little bit tough to watch, so I would read the synopsis first before you jump, dive in just to see if you're okay with it. But um, I think if you push through the subject matter, it's really a rewarding experience, and the ending is awesome, and it's gorgeous. And uh, for more on Mel Gorjata, I, I don't seem to, she doesn't have a Twitter, it doesn't seem like. I don't know if she's on Facebook, but she does have an IMDb, so you can go there and uh, look up all her other features that she's made and go down um, a path of uh, watching awesome films. I haven't seen anything but The Other Lamb, but I watched the trailers for a few of her films and they look great. And then if you want to find out more about us, you can go to MickeyMoviesIsHard.com where you can find links to things we talked about in this episode, including how to find The Other Lamb and uh, trailers to uh, Mal Malgo's other films. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, you can send an email to podcast at MickeyMoviesIsHard.com or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at MMIHPodcast. I am ORP on Twitter and Instagram and Liz, you can be found at Liz Minichel, where where you are. And if you like the show, tell a friend, pass the word around. You can also leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher, just as we mentioned earlier. And yeah, thanks again, Liz, for another fantastic episode. You too. And also, like, I sign off all my emails now. Stay safe and healthy. So, Alric, stay safe and healthy. Yes, and everyone out there, please stay safe as well. And we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>